0: Thank you, Ted. So good to be here. I do remember when we would ride on stagecoach together, or horseback to church back in the day. It was long ago. Some of you are saying, what is a stagecoach? It's just really bad dad humor. So we're so glad to be here. My wife Amanda and I, this is our roots. You know, I was here 30-plus years ago, and so to be back here and then to bring our kids here. I had a son born at the hospital here in Evanston, and then we had our kids dedicated here in this room. And Eloise McKittrick dedicated our kids, so praise the Lord. We are so glad to be here. It was a fun weekend, had a really good Good time, and Dr. Dennis last night was talking about um, a lifestyle of worship. He talked about justice. He talked about being an agent of God's justice. And what we're going to talk about today is connected to that. I'm going to suggest that what we're going to look at is an important part of being an agent of God's justice. We're going to talk about winning the war of the mind. And so if you're going to be an agent, a Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost agent for kingdom justice, then you have got some work to do in your mind. And that's true for all of us, right? I shared with a 9 a.m. service, winning the war of the mind is essential for all of us in this room. For every Christian, no matter how old you are, how young you are, where you come from, winning the war of the mind is important, isn't it? Is that right, church? And I I am sensitive to this. Jess was pointing this out. I'm using the language of war and weapons, right? But the truth is we can't dilute that. We're sensitive to what's happening in the world right now, and our heart breaks just as God's heart, his heart breaks over War and conflict and the things that human beings do to one another, but the truth is we are in a spiritual battle And we can't dilute that. I mean, so today I want to talk about winning the war of the mind And so Lord we we do ask for your grace as we look into your word and as we look at certain practices that you've given to your church And we pray for your grace and your power, and we do pray for your peace in the world through Christ Jesus and through repentance and brokenness and turning to you. And we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we are looking at winning the war of the mind, and we're going to look at three things. Very briefly, we're going to look at the war, and then we're going to look at most of the time spent on our, the weapons that the Lord gives us, spiritual weapons. And then very briefly, we're going to look at the victory that's assured. Did you know that in this battle, the victory's already won? We celebrated it this morning, didn't we? The body and blood of Christ means that you and I, as followers of Jesus, are victorious. It's game over. The battle's over, friends. And we live in a time where there's fierce spiritual conflict. But just like World War II, the D-Day and the V-Day time, I mean, the battle is won. And so we're just waiting for V-Day to come. But the kingdom is already here. The king is already enthroned. He has defanged the enemy. He's overcome death itself through his resurrection. So we look at this with an attitude of victory. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And what's interesting about this spiritual battle is the enemy is fighting over a different kind of territory. You know what that territory is? You. You know that, right? He is battling over, and out of you, he wants your mind. He wants to put your mind in the crosshairs and he wants to come after it. And so today, we're going to look at spiritual battle. Now, yesterday, we talked about theosis. Some of you are like, ah, what is that? We looked at the Eastern Orthodox Church and their teaching on growing in Christlikeness. That's what theosis is. It's a Greek word that the early church fathers gave to the church, taken from scripture, particularly 2 Peter, one four. And so I mentioned yesterday that we were going to look at some very practical things that tie into theosis or growing in Christ-likeness through union with God by grace. And so we're going to look at three things in particular. Are you up for it? You ready? Are you with me? 11.44 a.m. We're going to dig in and look at three things. And I don't need to convince you that there is a spiritual war happening, do I? We're crystal clear on that. There is a war, and I don't want to engender fear, but I want you to be awakened. Maybe today you're coming in and you're spiritually sleepy. And so I am here to tell you it's time to wake up, friends. And you're in a spiritual battle, and there's no neutrality there is no Switzerland where you can go and hang out and drink a margarita and just hang. You are in the spiritual battle over your soul, over your body, over your mind. And there's no neutrality. So you're either aligned with the kingdom of God through Christ or the kingdom of Satan. And I'm, I know where I am today. I'm like, I am moving as deep into the kingdom of God in Christ as I can. How about you? So we're in a spiritual war here, but I want to spend most of our time looking at the second part, our weapons. How does that sound? Now, scripture makes this clear, doesn't it? We find in Ephesians 6, the apostle Paul, he is using the same kind of metaphor that I'm talking about here. He's telling the church at Ephesus, he's saying, brothers and sisters. You're at war, spiritually. And so he turns to the church at Ephesus, and what does he talk about in Ephesians 6? The armor of God. He says you can be covered from head to toe if you will appropriate the armor, but you've got to put it on. And then he says in Romans 13, a different church, the church at Rome, and these were churches in pagan cities. It was wild. It was like New York And Las Vegas mashed up and won. So he's looking at believers there in these new churches, and he's saying, you're in spiritual battle, and you must, Romans 13, he says, put on the armor of light. Put on Christ. Step into what Christ provides for you through his life, his death, his resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. Those are more familiar things, right? I want to talk about three things that are less familiar. Can we do that? Yes. And the first one, the first weapon, spiritual weapon, that I want to talk about is watchfulness. Can we say it together? Watch. Watchfulness. All right? And I'm just going to rifle through some quick scriptures here. Proverbs 4.23 says this. So I want to show you in the Old Testament where it speaks of Watchfulness. Watch over your heart with diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So the call in Old Testament Scripture to be vigilant, to watch over, to guard your heart so that it's not polluted, so that you can have clean, clear springs that flow from your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we got it in the Old Testament, right? Watchfulness, watch over your heart. Matthew 26 41 it's up on a slide there I want to encourage you I'm not going to this church anymore I this is my roots I was here in the 90s and then like I said my family was here but I would encourage you to start carrying one of these around some of you are going what is that if you're eight years old it's called a book it's a Bible We've got a lot of young people that are getting saved at our church, and I've told them, you might want to start spending time in a physical copy of this so that you're not distracted with the phone. I find sometimes when I'm just dependent on this and I'm looking up a verse or something, I'm like, oh, I got a text. I better check that out. So I want to encourage you to hang out and get used to having a physical copy of that. Is that all right for me to say that? And I, we got these young people walking around with their Bibles and they're spending time in it and they can develop history and mark it up and write notes. I just think there's something about that. They set the phone aside and they get the word out. Matthew 26, 41. Jesus says this as he's preparing to go to the cross. He's got his disciples with him. And look what he says. Keep watching and praying. He's saying be watchful that you may not enter into temptation. Then he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, be watchful, watch, and pray. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. The word of God Man, what a privilege it is to be able to open the scriptures. Did you know there are countries where you can't have one of these? Right? Some of you may have family or you've come from countries where it's illegal to have one. Friends, we get to open the book whenever we want. We get to open the scripture and read it and interact with the God of the universe through his word. What a privilege it is, right? So 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, listen for watchfulness in this. Listen for it. See if I can read it. I need my readers. You know what? I want to have someone read that out. You can see it on the slide. So we did this at the conference. Someone with some good pipes there. Read out Second Corinthians ten three to 5. Who will do that for me? Indeed, we live as human beings, but we do not wage war according to human standards, for the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds destroy arguments and every proud obstacle raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So here's that metaphor. Here's that word picture Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. You're in a spiritual battle. Our weapons are different. They're spiritual weapons, and they're weapons of love and grace and mercy. But that last phrase there, what did it say we do? We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ Um, you know what the Greek there means every thought isn't that clever (laughs) it means every thought every translation should say not some thoughts but every thought so Paul is telling us there and this is a command isn't it he's looking at the church and he's saying in Christ take every thought captive so if it's a command, you know what, church? It's a promise. Think about that. For every command, every injunction in Scripture is a promise through the Holy Spirit that you can do this. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord did not lay anything on us that he doesn't empower us to do. So the Apostle Paul is saying there, church, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you think that's realistic? Tell me. Is that realistic or is that unattainable? It's realistic, and it's attainable through the mercy of the Lord Jesus. So are we clear? That first spiritual weapon is being watchful so that we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I shared at the 9 o'clock, this is stuff that I'm doing every day. Am I the only person in the room who's just assaulted through the day with spiritual thoughts that I shouldn't, shouldn't entertain? Am I the only one? I didn't think so. So you can identify with whatever to anger, lust, comparison, envy. I mean, it's just coming at us all the time, isn't it? And if you do not have a plan and you don't have spiritual weapons, you're toast. You're just putting yourself right in the battlefield with a big bullseye saying, I'm here. So what I'm urging us to do is use the spiritual weapons that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. And the first one is watchfulness. Now, watchfulness is kind of like setting up a checkpoint over your heart. Think about that for a moment. Does the enemy have full access to your heart right now? Or do you have a checkpoint set up? Are you guarding and watching over your heart right now? we got one person that is. Some of us need to do some self-evaluation and think, you know what, I have opened the gate of the city of my heart, and there's free access, and I've got intruders coming all through the day and just bringing their baggage and their thoughts and their attacks, I need to set up a checkpoint just like the Apostle Paul says here. Amen? Now, I shared it's at 9 o'clock. I'm going to put this up here quickly and just because I want to introduce some terms that are a little unusual. Because sometimes if you have unusual terms, you listen better. So look on this slide here. You can see down at the bottom, that word, that blue circle says noose. Can we say noose together? So, the scriptures teach this. Paul says to the church at Corinth, you have the noose of Christ. You have a spiritual mind that God gives you in Christ. Friends, you have a spiritual mind. You have a noose. Paul also says in Ephesians 1, it's the eyes of your heart. And so you can look at Scripture, and it talks about spirit and soul and body, but what we're talking about through the noose is your spiritual heart. It's the thing that God gives you to see his glory, especially through Scripture. He gives you a noose, eyes of your heart, so that you can encounter him and know him. And it's much more than your intellect, because I don't know about you, but the intellect can be a dead end. The intellect can only handle so much of God, but your spiritual mind that resides in your heart, the noose, is what God gives you to encounter Him and know Him. Amen? So we use our minds, but this transcends the mind. Now look on the left there. What do you see there in the illustration? On the left there, the red. The world. Its sinful passions and temptations are bringing everything They've got to bear on your noose. And so if you're not guarding and watching over your noose, then it's going to be a free-for-all. Now you see that strange word up there. It looks like logismoi. It's a Greek word that comes from Scripture, and the early church fathers talked about it. The logismoi are the fiery darts that the enemy is bringing at your noose all day. Anybody have any fiery darts over the last few days? I have. Just, Paul talks about it. So if you don't have a shield and you don't have a checkpoint and you're not guarding your noose, then those flaming arrows are just going to hit you. You're going to open the gates of the city and say, hey, come on in. So by setting up watchfulness, watching over your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, you turn your noose in the direction of God. So the enemy comes at you. And you are turning, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, make it even more concrete. But you're turning from those attacks, and you're turning to the Lord. And you're saying, my noose, my spiritual heart, the eyes of my heart are aimed toward you, Lord. I want to gaze upon you. I want to see you spiritually. I want to grow in my awareness of your glory and be transformed. Amen? It's what you're created for. And this right here is, can be a noose attacking machine. Can I get an amen? It can be used for good purposes, right? But it can also be a place of fiery darts coming at you. And so, church, I'm inviting you to guard your noose, to guard that spiritual place that God has given you where he wants to encounter you. So watchfulness. A second one is counter speaking. Counterspeaking. What do you think I mean by that? To counterspeak. The early church fathers called it rebuttal as well. Matthew 4, 4 to 11. And I don't have it on a slide. I'm just going to summarize it. But this is after Jesus' baptism. He's baptized. The Spirit of the Lord comes on him. And then Matthew 4 and Luke 4 show us what happens with Jesus. Can anyone tell me? What happens in Matthew 4, 4 to 11? He's filled with the Spirit, and then where does he go? He goes to the desert, to the wilderness, to be tempted by the enemy. And friends, what happens there? The enemy comes to him and tempts him to misuse his power, his provision, And praise, to misdirect his praise. And how does the Lord Jesus respond to the attacks of the enemy? What's he do, church? It is written. written. He says three words. Let's say it together. It is written. So Jesus has the word of God at his disposal. He has it in his heart. And the enemy comes to him and he counter speaks against the lying work of the enemy and he says it is written it is written it is written and finally says be gone away with you satan so friends if the lord jesus himself had to do it what do you think we have to do we got to do the same thing don't we so jesus is the supreme example fully human fully god and his approach was to counter speak in the spiritual battle and he does it with those three words what are the three words again it is written so friends that means that you and i have to spend time in the scriptures every day can you find time for a podcast can you find time to send a marco polo to someone and watch it can you find time to watch your program each day We usually can, can't we? So I'm inviting you to find time, even if if just a few minutes, to get the Word of God flowing into your heart, into your mind, so that you can be prepared to counter speak. Here's the last thing. All right. So we got watchfulness, we got counter speaking, using the Word of God like the Lord Jesus did. And this last one is the crown jewel it's the Jesus prayer. And we've been, uh, I've talked with Ted. I know that at Evanston Vineyard, you've been praying this. And there are so many different expressions and uses of the Jesus prayer. The one I'm looking at in particular today is in that place of spiritual battle. And so you say it together. It's a communal prayer, isn't it? So we say it together, and we did it at the 9 o'clock service But I'm also looking at it in particular when you're in your car, when you're at your workplace, when you're lying down on your bed, wherever you might be, and the enemy is bringing fiery darts against your noose, your mind, and you are turning to the Lord. And I do this, my neighbors might think I'm crazy. I'm walking my dog through the neighborhood, and I'm trying to pray, and I walk through these three things. And the enemy is bringing stuff at my mind. And so I'll say, Lord, I'm going to be watchful. I'm going to watch over my heart. Will you help me take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? And then if the enemy continues to bring whatever he's working me over with that day, then I counterspeak. And I say, it is written. It is written. I will worship the Lord my God and Him I will serve him only. I I live on the bread of the word of God that comes from his mouth. And I, I quote scripture on my walk and then I try to do it through the day and then I come to this one, the Jesus prayer. Can we say it together? Let's put it up here. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. So the Desert Fathers, those folks that were living about 300 years after Christ, they taught us, they recorded in their writings something called arrow prayers. Can we say arrow prayers? Arrow Arrow prayers. And they said, this is the greatest arrow prayer that's been given to the Christian church. It's 10 words, isn't it? It's very simple. Some of you who come from maybe a Catholic or a liturgical background, you might think, wow, this is nothing new, or it can be prayed in a rather rote or robotic way. But I want to challenge that today. You are calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ through this prayer. You're praising him. You're declaring who he is. You're saying you are Lord. You are Jesus the Savior. You are the Son of God. There's no one like you, and I'm turning to you in this moment of battle and warfare. I'm calling on you. Is there anything more glorious and powerful than that, friends? You're praying scripture. Acts 28, 31, Paul speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you know this in Philippians 2, 9 to 11, the apostle Paul says something about the name of Jesus. What is it he says, Church. Something about that name. But what is it about that name? Paul says, because Christ emptied himself and he died on the cross, the Father gives Jesus the name above every name. And then what happens when you pronounce that name? What happens? Every knee bows, right? So when you are praying the Jesus prayer and the enemy's coming against you, and you say, Lord Jesus Christ, what does the enemy do? His knee bows. He must acknowledge. He must submit. And you know what? He'll lay off of you if you keep praying this. Your own, his own temptation and your sinful nature can actually make you a prayer warrior. Do you hear me on that? The good news. If, if he is coming at you all the time and you're calling on the name of Jesus, he might say, I'm going to lay off a little bit. That person is becoming a prayer a worshiper, a warrior. And so calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jesus prayer is rooted in Scripture, isn't it? So Acts 28, Philippians 2, Mark 1 gives us the phrase, the Son of God. The whole gospel is about the Son of God. And then Luke 18, you can look at this later, but the whole chapter, Luke 18, is about people encountering Jesus and saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And then they bring their their petition, their request to him. So friends, the arrow prayer of all arrow prayers is this Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Is there any greater prayer you could pray? It's 10 words. Can you remember it? It can always be with you. So let's say you didn't have time to open the scriptures and get a prayer going. You can have these 10 words with you all the time. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Now, we were Amanda and I were at a Vineyard regional conference this time last year, and I had a vision. And I wanted to share this with you. In the vision, I was seeing we were in worship, and it was a wonderful time together with people from our region. And in this vision, I saw a desert. And in the desert, in the distance, I saw a fire that was burning. And I saw a man go and kneel next to the fire, and he took an arrow, and he dipped the arrow in the fire. And so the tip of the arrow was on fire, and he took his bow, and he shot it. And it went, whoo! And it went 2,000 years. And it hit a particular place, a particular movement, and it caught it on fire. And I was like, Lord, what is that? And he said, it's the Jesus prayer, and I'm going to fire it into the vineyard movement. And I was like, oh! That is glorious, Lord. Would you do that? Would you take this ancient prayer from the desert that was born in meditation on scripture and given to the church, and would you launch it into the heart of the vineyard movement so that from the youngest to the oldest, we're praying this prayer together, and we're calling on the holy, glorious, exalted name of the Lord Jesus together? How does that sound, friends? And so I believe it. He showed me that picture, and then I said, Lord, I'm signing up to do whatever I can to teach people, especially new believers, to call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I brought some booklets. We order these, and we keep these in stock in our resource center in our church in Oklahoma, and it's a little booklet. It's like 30 pages on the Jesus Prayer, and it is wonderful. Even if someone doesn't have time to read, you can pick one up. And I brought, I think, 20 of them. They're sitting out there, and we're charging only so we can break even, right? We have to ship them over from from England. They're printed in England, but I recommend this. I've given a lot of these away. And you know what? If you can't afford it, take one. It's all right, okay? So why don't we stand, church? I mentioned at the beginning these three things, the spiritual war that we're in, you've got weapons, and what are the three weapons? Watchfulness, counterspeaking, Jesus prayer. So those of you that like acronyms, ways to, it's W-C-J. W-C-J. I do W-C-J all through the day, each day. I try to be watchful. And I have a scripture that reminds me of watchfulness. I have counter speaking. It is written, ready to go. And then I have the Jesus prayer, those 10 words, always with me. So why don't we, uh, let, let's say the Jesus prayer together, okay? Why, why don't we close our eyes and focus on the Lord? And Ted was reminding us earlier this morning that we say this prayer together as a church. We call on the name of the Lord Jesus together as his body and then I was mentioning that we also do it throughout the day when we're alone serving him in different places but let's say it together a few times Lord Jesus Christ son of God have mercy on me and then I like to just wait a minute because calling on his name brings peace and it brings focus it drives the darkness and the demons back So you can say it. And friends, I've mentioned before that saying this prayer puts you under the waterfall of his mercy. You're not begging for his mercy. His mercy flows like a waterfall. And so by saying this prayer, you're stepping under the flow of that waterfall. Let's say it again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Have mercy on me. Let's say it again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Sometimes even just kind of taking a deep breath after that and receive his mercy. Let's say it again, church. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. We receive your mercy, Lord Jesus. You freely give it. You are not stingy with your mercy. You are mercy. You are the mercy of God to us. We receive your mercy. And we want to share your mercy with other people. We want to be agents of kingdom justice and kingdom mercy. We want to carry your mercy. We want to carry your name wherever we are. And Lord, I pray that you would grace us today. You would help us be watchful, that we would counterspeak with your word, and that we would call on your name through the day, Lord. Would you give us that grace? Give us that grace. And we pray in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brock. Thank you.